pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Avkar, joined by my faithful co-host, Levitain. G'day, g'day, g'day. And our very special guest, leader of Mercenary Alliance, Blood Eagle Syndicate, Kanari Zadi. Thanks. Kanari, so happy to have you here. It's been a very long time since we've even had another Mercenary Alliance in the game that's lasted for a considerable amount of time to even invite onto the show. So I'm glad to see you guys out there adding another option to the ecosystem and uh, that you guys have been successful enough that we could actually get you booked and come on before you folded or left the biz. Well, we just started mercenary stuff like two or three months ago, so uh, it's maybe a bit early to say. <laughs> I <laughs> will take long, it. But we are trying. <laughs> so many mercenary alliances and corporations fold within the first two months. I've seen... Dozens, if not triple digits at this point, having played the game for as long as I have, people will try it. They go, oh, yeah, people will give me money to do it. And they don't realize how much work goes into it and how hard it is to take contracts and, and like actually deliver on expectations. And then all the normal reasons that EVE corporations fold on top of all that just means they're normally not around very long. So that you guys have made it to month three, I think that's a really big deal. Yep. We're doing the alliances existing since way longer. Um, basically, the mercenary stuff is just new content since a couple of months for us because we got a bit bored with faction warfare, I would say, and we're looking for some new exciting things. Well, let's talk a bit about about that. How did you guys come together? You know, what's the history of the alliance? So most of the alliance is actually my corporation. We have a couple of other corporations, but they are pretty small, like one to three people. Um, and my corporation basically like just started in Heisek, did some random shit. I founded the corporation the first day I started EVE um, because that's what I wanted to do. And then we were like renters in Nalzek and we were in a very small alliance in IHP when they lived in Decline with uh, Volta and so on and rented there. And I was very PvP-focused, so we became part of the main alliance after some part. And for some reason, they made me FC because, you know, um, they gave me a lot of trust from the beginning because they didn't have a lot of people themselves. And under the blinds, you're one-eyed as the king, as a saying. <laughs> so I had, like, a lot of opportunity to learn quickly, although I was, like, for three months in EVE and FCing, like, fleets already. So um, I got into it pretty quickly and learned a lot. That was nice. And then we got evicted by Volta and then moved through a couple of other Nalzek spaces and got evicted over and over again because we were always part of like small coalitions or alliances trying to do the thing. And after some, at some point, we just said, okay, let's try something new. Let's go to Lozik and do faction warfare because we were kind of tired of the, like, the way Nalzek is played and wanted to learn something new and came to Amar faction warfare and... Yeah, that's what we did mostly this year and um, how we have grown up to an alliance. Very helpful. You can't get evicted from Lissac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what do you nice think of thing. the new faction so warfare system? Off. Sorry, come again? Uh, I was wondering what you think of the new faction warfare system. What's your impression of it? Um, with the new with new faction warfare system, you mean that there are Tech 5 plexes and so on, so the changes that went uh on a couple of months, right? Yeah. Um, so I never experienced the old faction warfare system, so I can only, like, arbitrary compared, I would say. I think the mechanics are quite good, mostly, um, especially for, like, casual players um, or people who just want to farm a bit or have some small-scale PvP. I think the mechanics are currently lacking a bit the incentive for like bigger groups to actually fight heavily about one system. Um, we had a pretty interesting scenario when I came to Faction Warfare in Amar that I was like... Um, putting a lot of effort into conquering one system which was heavily defended and we had like the most fun ever in this one or two months because we had like 10 20 fights 
each day constantly from morning till evening and everybody was like loving it but at some point i got a bit burnt out of it and just noticed there isn't a lot of incentive to really do this like conquering a system doesn't give you any benefit and there's no long-term motivation so i think this is a bit lacking to keep people doing this kind of stuff and organizing it yeah it's a lot of fun but at the end of the day you don't really have anything to show for all that effort and money right yeah at some point it starts feeling pointless and then you just don't have the motivation to do the hard work because conquering a system that's heavily defended it's a huge chunk of it is also boring work like doing the uncontested flexing for some hours when you can um and doing this like you you can do this for a couple of weeks or months when you're motivated but at some point if you don't have the incentive to do it it starts getting frustrating yeah, I think we can relate to that over on the Glenty side. Yeah, it's a it's a particular. Uh, it's one of the things I think they've they've yet to really fully grasp is the kind of the what's the uh, the whole aim? What's the what's the big incentive apart from just making sectors on a map on a on a map kind of your color itself? It would be nice if there would be some kind of uh, strategic advantage that applies to the whole war zone, or whether it gives a boon or some kind of bonus to the the occupying force itself some of those lines i think would be nice but i think we can certainly relate to the fact that in hotly contested systems it does generate lots of fights of of all different sizes from solo to small gang to even some larger stuff especially when the battlefields come crawling around yep definitely but the problem is to generate this scenario of having a heavily contested system because um, usually there's no incentive, like um, no mechanical incentive. So in the past, it was always some FCs just really wanting it and putting a lot of effort into it. But um, if they burn out or if they get tired of it, then there's uh, people just plex on, on their own and don't really care for the big fights. Yeah, I think CCP might be a little gun-shy of the way LP used to work in the old system. I think it's very tempting. I've, I've even heard some Faction Warfare players that had played during the old system talk about it in these terms, that you can't add an incentive for conquering the war zone because then it'll just go back to the old problems with the way LP worked. But I think there were very specific one... ways that the LP swinging system had. Like You don't need to do it in that way. You could make it something that doesn't change in value depending on who's in control. I think one big problem with incentivizing system control is also that in every game, like also outside of EVE, I have seen like factional warfare. Um, the faction who was winning was snowballing very hard. The people started like swapping the faction to the winner faction to get into the benefit of the advantages that the winner faction has. Um, so it was snowballing even harder and they were winning even harder. So they were getting more stuff. They were rewarded more and they started to get more and more people and the losing side was punished more and more. And at some point it was just pointless to play. Um, so that's quite a big problem in these scenarios, I think. I've seen examples where they've, they've met systems kind of mitigate that planet side too, for example, with its whole lattice thing. Um, they operate a fairly similar grid type thing with structural facilities around that confer bonuses. But they also had a mechanic where if one side was really undermanned compared to the other, that a, bo- that a global bonus was applied to the way that they progress things. Now, I think you're right. I think tying it to LP gain, I think, would be very difficult because you just, EVE players are masters of min-max. They will they will game the shit out of that system um, and you'll see manipulations happening. So I think you'd need to have a system which incentivized you spending that LP itself, you know, on stuff that you couldn't then just sell on for even more profit, whether you'd have some kind of, where it imparts some kind of control, whether you might have uh, a system whereby you could summon NPC reinforcements or potentially make it so that all the sites in that particular area have much more powerful NPCs, making it more difficult for the opposing force just to kind of AFK wrap these things without kind of spending LP on these things. And then it creates a target of opportunity, like you say, look, make all the sites easier. Let's go after this particular this particular area. Yeah, I could also imagine like incentive in terms of example building out like in Nalzik you can like build up a system that has better rating and so on. I could imagine that example in Lozik you can like 
put LP into a moon to make it an R64 moon and then get some resources out of it or something. I don't know. Um, I, I think, I think also, that would be gamed. I think that would be horrifically gamed. Like there's, there's probably there's people sitting on millions upon millions of LP out there. Yeah. I know some people did. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but it's not, well, probably not the best idea, but it's a concept. Like making people like, having people like, um, feel it's their system and they have something important there you know what i mean um rather than yeah the system flips and we flip another system and then the world maintains but nobody really cares and just plagues the frontline system that's a bit how it's going on in our faction warfare currently at least um nobody really cares about any system like one system flips to the other side one system gets flipped by Amar, depending on who plexes what so it's a bit boring because there's no emotional buy-in from the parties i guess yeah well, there's no real reason to do that i think you've got to it's it's like you mentioned way at the top of this. It's great for casual players, but for people that are in there and live it full time, unless they have some kind of RP reason, it's really one system is just as good as any other system. You lose access to docking there, but if you don't need to dock there for any reason, what are you really losing? Not much. If you take a system, okay. You can't really do a ton to it. I think they were kind of on the right track with people being able to invest LP for system bonuses. I, th- but th- there needs to be more to that. More, uh, like you said, the emotional side of things, the community building side of things, the home building side of things. Um, like people put down roots, things that you know they put up and they're proud of, and they don't want to see destroyed. People that hate them want to destroy them because they want to hurt those people. Things like this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you could you could imagine a scenario potentially whereby, you know, every every couple of weeks, like a new, like a like a, clearly there's a bit. Of, it needs to be a bit of RP in the background, but where you know, some kind of, let's say the Glens, they say, okay, this system is the one we need to capture. There'll be bonuses in terms of there's a bonuses for LP for Galente running this system or kind of killing Kaldari in this system, kind of for creating artificial hotspots itself. And then the idea is if if factions start to win those particular sides of things, it allows you to build in building kind of like progression into the into the lore itself that doesn't provide i think the difficulty with putting lp into a greater system is then the whole system scales it's like adding a multiplier and multipliers it's they can be they can be manipulated to quite staggering degrees i think you need to make tangible things that then you have investment to defend so pretend like say galante you know turns around and says right we absolutely must capture um on a seekin for example and you know a campaign is launched and everyone kind of piles into the system and Galente eventually flips it and potentially you know places some kind of structure there some kind of one-time structure there that acts as a kind of like a bulwark itself and then the incentive is Caldari have to come and pick it off yeah it sounds it sounds pretty good and when at fanfest when this solo thing was rolled out was not last year a year before that um that that was kind of mentioned in the faction warfare panel as a potential direction the development could go where they would have sort of npc camp like npc generals and admirals that would pick systems to campaign toward and there might be some kind of group reward for i don't know if they had like a physical in space item or or you would get sort of like uh payouts like you do for login rewards but there would be some kind of rewards track for people for participating in that npc campaign but obviously we haven't seen a ton of that outside of i no we haven't really seen a ton of that there have been events but not really in the style or form that they talked about there and it seemed like a very far off idea in fairness it wasn't anything that they promised it was just something that they were thinking about yeah i mean something something i could imagine like is something like the reserve bank in nalzik so that example if you like do a plex 25% of the LP that you get for the Plex gets in the reserve bank and you only get it paid out in the moment your faction captures the system it's, uh, in the course of like four weeks. If it's longer than four weeks, you lose the stuff that's older in four weeks. But then people would actually have a very heavy incentive to make the system flip happen because then if they have plexed the front line for a couple of two or three weeks, they have like 
two, three, four million LP in the reserve bank, and they would get a really big payout if they achieved the goal. So some, I mean, probably it's not the best well thought through idea, but something like that would create um, an active incentive to do it without the possibility of really abusing it because the problem is also incentives that you put out could always be grabbed by like pirate groups like snuffed out or big app or by mm -hmm. npc or like nalzec uh, alliances if they sniff they can make a lot of easy isk um, with doing something with just one ops or with low effort they will just take it away from you like if, for example if you are able to upgrade systems to r64 moons they will just put down the atanor and the normal faction warfare alliance will not be able to do anything there um yeah. so i think something like that could be interesting i think running the sites as well because the current sites are you know they're, they're locked whereas having potential kind of riskier sites that you warp in and so you can't warp out unless you warp kind of get to a certain distance like the current banks that are in in nullsec i think those kind of higher risk high reward sites itself where you commit inside and you commit for the duration i think they they can be very helpful itself i agree if they Let's say if you've got the ability to upgrade an R64, and yeah, someone like Snuff or a big player would just see it and go, thanks for a nice moon, we're taking it, and that's all good. But I think there's 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 definitely room in the system to improve things. And uh, as you say, provide investment, provide buy-in, provide some kind of tactile feel on the system itself to, to make you want to care about the fact that this front line is here, and I want to go and capture this system because X, Y, Z. I could also imagine to make the system capturing a bit more dynamic and aggressive. That example, if you hit 70% contested, just as an example, the system moves into a critical state, and then you maybe have new plexus that spawn at example skirmish site, which are like a mini battlefield with like 10 people and not 30 payout and which have maybe two capture points without NPCs and which makes it a bit more interesting and which give a lot of victory point rewards and spawn every 20 minutes so you have like constant fighting about them and people have a big incentive to like fight non-stop in the system and then the system also flips or not depending on which faction does the better job so something like that could give it a bit more dynamic and spice things up i guess from the normal boring okay this is my my medium plex i pop in my my cruiser and chill there for 50 minutes <laughs> i think there's also something to making the reward not lp some kind of uh, resource, perhaps, that's used in faction warfare builds or capital construction or something along those lines. I think something that you can only trade for within your within your LP store. That way, it stops it from being marketed out. It might have to be some kind of item that can't necessarily be traded or somehow could be contracted or is only useful for your faction. And yeah, I think something that allows you to easily exchange it for resources, you know, within your faction, like a, you know, you get like a, a particular kind of token or item itself, but that then kind of like perhaps can be used to kind of make buying a dreadnought a lot easier, for example. Yeah. The risk of putting it in LP is people would game like one LP store versus the other, unless it was something that can only be used. It, it has to be something of equal value, no matter which faction is using it. I think that's the thing. If it's specific to the one faction, you'd have the flipping situation you have with the old system. So it would need to be I some kind of resource that every faction uses for their LP store. I think the general problem is a bit that it's very hard to make everybody happy because, like, for me, at example... I've grown out of like like sure sometimes you can do some cruiser destroyer stuff solo around a bit have some small brawls why not um, but I've grown out a bit um, from it that it doesn't make me fun if I do it nonstop so I prefer like big strat ops with battleships and potential capitals and doing doing things in a bit of a bigger scale um, and a more interesting scale um, and for for this scenario. Um, it's faction warfare is not really optimized and incentivized. And uh, at the same time, like if you optimize it in this direction, you will probably try to push, uh, start pushing out and making the system worse for like somebody who has barely any PvP experience and just wants to to get some experience with a T1 frigate. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's always very hard to make everybody happy um, and make a perfect system for everybody. So you somebody needs to take some downsides at the end. I think I think there's a couple of ways you could kind of get around that. I mean, what like they always they do the um the skill um kind of things that kind of temporarily give you skills for something. 
And I think that potentially you could have tied into faction, particular you know, kind of uh, advanced skills itself tied to that that particular store. Like you get X amount of tokens, and you can redeem it an LP store for this particular skill thing that you know allows you to fly ships well beyond your means, or maybe even some kind of cheap access to dread to dreadnoughts itself. Like you can you know buy, you can use the you can use the tokens, exchange it for a you know a fully fit up T1 dread that is that is kind of rented out to you. And that would make you want to drop it. Mm. Well, a ship rental system. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, the, the Galente Navy is the biggest one in EVE, supposedly, from the law. Like, I, you know, you, I, you grind, team grinds up, gets like, you know, 100 tokens, blah, 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 you know, something else. It says, okay, well, I can exchange it for this particular token and I gain a dreadnought for 30 days. And if I lose it, I lose it. But I've not had to make a huge amount of investment into it. It's like, all right, what can I drop this on? And suddenly, every, everyone has potentially a lot of a lot of fun in these things. Bit of a strange idea. I know Snuff would probably not like it, but that's up to them. The Dreadnought will <laughs> self-destruct in the- fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the problem is a bit that the person who paid like five bill for his Dreadnought and then fights a free rental Dreadnought would probably be a bit pissed. <laughs> well, the rental Dreadnought might not be able to be used outside of faction warfare, so you couldn't jump it out of faction warfare. You have to keep it within space. Yeah, it would be, so, it I mean, would be an interesting possibility to actually fight pirate groups which are not really participating in faction warfare but have a strong capital wing. It would be it would be funny. <laughs> yeah, and potentially you, know, you you have some kind of inject there that temporarily gives a character dreadnought skills. You know, at that kind of side of things, like it's almost like an alpha dreadnought. But you know, somewhat let's say a, lo- a low level faction warfare player grinds away doing his bit gets enough tokens and suddenly they can jump into a, ca- a strat op and a capital op and not have to spend a huge amount yeah just have the dreads yeah. sort of be trapped in that system and only give them like the weapon and the ship skills and not any of the jump skills and then they have to turn the dreadnought in as part of the mission completion criteria or something like that there's yeah. eve mechanics for that kind of thing there's plenty of mechanics, and even you know, even if they have jump skills, they can't jump outside of faction warfare. You know, it's a faction, it's a it's a faction lone dread, and it's, you know they won't be allowed to jump out of the faction warfare space with it. If they don't use it within thirty days, it's returned. You no, know, gets claimed. Hmm. Yeah, I like it. It's fun. Yeah, it's interesting for sure. I want to get back to to Blood Eagle. Um, we've talked a lot a bit about your time in faction warfare. Let's talk about your time doing mercenary work. Why did you guys decide to do this? What was the catalyst? Tell me about your first contract. Any other highlights you'd like to bring out from your work so far? So as I as I said at the beginning, um, we've just started doing this like three months ago, and we didn't do a lot yet. I would say like five contracts roundabout, but it was okay for three, two or three months, I guess, um, and for summertime. And we did some various kind of stuff, I guess, from low-sec structure defense to high-sec structure defense to wormhole evictions um, to wormhole defense. Um, Quite versatile, I would say. Somebody even tried to contract us to gank a Gorka in high-sec and uh, wanted to pay us $5 billion uh, if we gank it with catalysts. But I was like... What's not that kind of stuff what I'm interested in, but I found <laughs> <Yeah>. it funny. <laughs> it's uh, some hatred apparently going on between the players. <laughs> um, so yeah, does it answer your question or did I miss the point? Uh, uh, what what did you decide to do it? Why did you, like, what was the moment where you're like, you know what, we're going to do this mercenary thing. I'm going to make a post. I'm going to go find clients, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, it was at the point where we started getting more and more inactive infection warfare and didn't really feel like having any goal, any specific goal or any, uh, let's say we didn't have any goal in faction warfare, which we said was really worth going for or where we were emotional about. So we were just playing around. It was very casual and we didn't really care anymore. Um, so I thought, let's try something new. And I liked the idea, like, I'm not married to faction warfare myself in my heart. I just want to go to do cool PvP and good PvP. And I think mercenary works good way to do it because you get involved with a lot of different scenarios and and situations. Um, so I wanted to try it out. I guess that was the, the start. 
obviously you've, you've tried it and liked it so far. Uh, do you have a favorite contract that you want to talk about? Mm, I wouldn't really say a favorite contract. I mean, what was what was really fun? Like, I founded the alliance at the beginning of the year, and we did mainly faction warfare. Um, so, we in faction warfare, we worked always together with a handful of other alliances, um, and barely really did strat ops completely on our own because like if the other side is forming 50 60 70 people with everything they can grab you can hardly go in with 15 people um so the mercenary work was also a good opportunity to do stuff completely on our own on our alliance size and like one thing we did was like a wormhole eviction where we um started poking somebody and uh, he got actually defended by a random other wormhole group and there we had the first big fight which was completely our alliance as a stratops only and we won the fight pretty decisively um so with our own doctrines and stuff so that was quite cool that's awesome congratulations well this feels good and you come away with those fights like with a really decisive win it's nice when you put all the cards on the table, like you know, up four shows up, they back phone, randos yeah. come in, you're like, okay, it's time, for, it's time for our apex form, and it's nice to when you get when it obviously goes your way. It can be a little bit disheartening when their apex form massively outguns yourself, um, which can happen in wormholes quite a lot because often they have kind of non kind of like unspoken agreements, and just suddenly a random wormhole court will just turn up with a, an overwhelming force on you. But no, really, it's really nice when it comes off your way. Yep, we did a couple of wormhole ops also, and what was the cool thing is that even we were we were ready to like form our Apex game and go into the expensive ships um, like nightmares and pots and so on. And uh, even if we lost some stuff and even if we lost the fight, people stayed motivated and wanted to go on. Um, so that's that's how I want to play the game, I guess, and that was cool. That's awesome. You need that mentality for Merc stuff because it's not always going to go your way and. Unlike normal PvP, where you could just go, okay, well, I guess we lost. Time to pick up our ball and go home. It's a mercenary contract. You're locked in. You got to deliver, or at least make an effort to deliver. It's not like you can just stop when it gets hard. Yeah, definitely. So usually you don't know what's going to happen. And the people you work for are sometimes not the most professional pvpers i would say so i guess people who hire mercs are often pvp yeah let's let's call it pvp noobs um and they look for help um so i a p- good part of the merc contracts we have done was also like if we work together with the people that we help explaining them what anchoring up means and so on <laughs> and sending them some doctrines they can actually use and telling them their random polarized uh, railgun chronos is not really going to help <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah you get all types sometimes you'll get hired by nullsec alliances who really know what they're doing and then sometimes it's you know the the group of five friends who really wanted a Athenor for some reason. And oh, I'm, like, I'm not oh, sure. Oh, now we're getting war decked, and we don't know how to do literally anything. What's yeah, the timer. But I, I I think Nalzik alliances also don't always know what they do. I think most stuff I did in Nalzik over like two years. Um, if I would have the knowledge now. Um, that I have back then. We could have absolutely wrecked anybody with that, but most Nazic fights I experienced were really very linear without a lot of mechanical knowledge and so on. Um, so this was a nice thing going to Lozek. People are generally just way better, way way higher skill, I would say. Well, speaking of contracts, we had one of our own. We deployed to Fancy over the last week or two, and we are instructed to just burn Corazor to the ground. Uh, not like structures, but ships. So over the course of a week and a few days, we became the top-killing alliance in Corazor, hitting the low-sec pocket and the adjacent Genesis low-sec systems, kind of near the Eve gate pipe, Antim and that kind of area. It was a lot of fun. So our primary opponents were no forks given. They were uh, quite quite nasty. The f- first day of the contract, I hopped in 
I soloed a prophecy and I had a dude for backup. He was in a, a widow. And then we rolled into a mining op. I managed to get point on something in the mining op. I'm like, all right, cool. We're doing this thing. And then wouldn't you know it, it's bait. I get counter dropped and our widow comes in, but I don't realize he doesn't have jams. So he drops in to try to kill the panther that's killing me, but the panther gets wrecked by a Rorkel. And so that's not happening. And we wound up feeding about a billion esque <laughs> the first day. I went well, from feeling great, killing that prophecy, getting first blood, to feeling awful that I just tanked the contract. But we managed to kill a fuck ton of stuff to balance that out. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I think at the end, um, the worst thing you can do in EVE is like being salty about losing some ships because um, at the end, I try to always see it like that. Sometimes you lose, sometimes they lose. And if uh, nobody ever loses stuff, then nobody ever gets content. So um, sometimes you got to be the victim. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it goes. And thankfully, it was a cautionary tale the rest of the Alliance took note of, because after that, we really didn't have, we had like a handful of small losses. It was nothing big. We wound up walking away doing 8 billion is destroyed over the course of the week, 150 kills, 73% efficiency. Considering I lost us a Black op ship, not too bad. That's not too bad. I, I'm surprised these guys are so active to lose so much stuff. My, my impression was always all they do is gate camp with Ignosis in the Bozic system. <laughs> well, it wasn't all no forks. Those were just like of the organized resistance we ran into. It was almost all them, but we were killing everything. Um, I see. What did we kill, kill the most of? A lot of new... No one I really recognize, actually. Uh, Jupiter Rough Riders took a bit of a hit. But yeah, it was just just a high volume of kills. A lot of ventures, a lot of haulers. Uh, I killed a hauler myself. It was worth over 300 million. I was like, wow. It was all faction, or not faction warfare, uh, PI stuff. I guess he had just done a PI run and he was full to the brim. I think we even had a mercenary contract where we were on opposite sides, didn't we? We certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately, yeah, we had a a bit of a run-in with each other on some system. So listeners will remember, I think, the previous episode of the episode before that, we talked about Raravath and our contract in Raravath. I believe it was the last step. And <laughs> the one of the forces arrayed against us, in addition to the local multi-boxer, was Blood Eagle Syndicate. I think you guys were ready to hot drop us. Is that right? Um, Not really, to be honest. Um. We we didn't have a hot drop or something prepared. We basically had the battleships ready for a brawl. Um but that's about that was about it. <laughs> well, I think even if you guys hadn't turned up, we probably couldn't have taken field. I think the multi boxer had like twenty seven, twenty eight accounts and we we're just sitting there with like ten dudes. Ooh, ah, that okay. was maybe a bit pessimistic from your perspective. <laughs> I, was quite, I, I was actually quite um, quite uh, unsure how things would evolve because I got told, hey, they moved a bunch of capitals, like a handful of dreads, a handful of uh, other stuff there. And uh, we we didn't ha even have Logi on grid, you know. <laughs> So our our only logic was like um, two fax pilots, which I was totally not sure if they have ever sit in a logi ship before and if they know what broadcasts are. So <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, quite unsure how things would evolve if you would have committed, but uh, it didn't it didn't really come to a fight, I guess. <laughs> well, we knew he had some facts as well, and we we actually ran into it on round three of trying to reinforce this stuff. And we were just looking at the kind of fleets that he could field. And I think one of them was nearly 20 Armageddon Navy issues plus facts. Or like mapping yeah, out like, okay, how long could our dreadnoughts last against this? Could we kill them before they kill us? And I think we that came away with probably not. Battleship fleet, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we... we yeah, I was... I was part uh, of like, I think... I, I, wa I was pretty unsure what more comes because I was not sure like if you guys have more Galente people coming with you. was not mm. sure who you are working with and who is all involved because apparently 
there was some person shit talking local there and he said yeah goons will also form for this and everybody ah. will come and fuck you up so <laughs> <laughs> i was actually worried getting a hot drop when we commit with the battleship and the faxes and uh but uh yeah you never know that's the exciting part <laughs> the goon bat phone that we definitely have <laughs> Yeah, I think on the on the last timer you tried with some Vargos to start the timer, and then we tried to 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 get to get the fight, um, but you you managed to get him away. And like one malediction was uh, tackling one of the one of the Vargos, but he was in new bro, so he just pro- pressed approach when you MJD'd and you you hit him and got away. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Term like actually. That. Shout out to Term, ballsy. It was good. We we went again. We did. Um, we kind of shipped down for it. We went in with Omen Navy issues to reinforce it at range. Uh, he did manage to save it, but we killed to get a Navy issue, which I was like flabbergasted that he allowed us to do that because it probably could have worked <laughs> off at any time, but he just didn't do it. Okay, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and then after it died, he warped two faxes on grid, and we're like, oh, okay, probably all we can do for now. But it was a very interesting contract, and it was great to run into you guys. Hopefully next time we're able to work together instead of against each other. But I was like, oh, Blood Eagle Syndicate, I remember them from the forums. <laughs> How cool is this? Really? Yeah, I was the first person to reply to your post. I, I think I didn't check my forum post uh, after I posted it again. <laughs> I don't even know who have posted there. <laughs> But I get you actually got a lot of response. A lot of people were like DMing me on Discord over the next weeks after I've posted on the forum. So I was actually super surprised that so many people were just uh, willing to contract like a completely fresh new alliance and give them a chance, I would say. So I didn't know if like the market is so flat and nobody is doing the work or um, why they come to us because we didn't have a lot of vouchers in the forum and we are quite small. But um, obviously it was nice. Yeah. Have the opportunity. That's great. I really hope you guys stick around and, and that it works for you. It's being a mercenary is difficult, and with there's not that many, you know, uh, true mercenary corporations out there itself. So oh, great, it's great to have you guys around. We get a lot of interest in some things that we can't do, like Kaldari High Sec. We get interest in things we don't want to do, like um, suicide ganking people and bounty hunting stuff, and. Sure yeah, the same, that as well. same. A couple, a couple of people um, started messaging us. Like I told at the beginning with the with the orca, um, five billion uh, for each time you kill him. <laughs> but it would be like stupid Isaac stuff. And like I don't, I don't really do. Mer- I don't want to do mercenary work for the ISK. I don't really care about about the ISK. Like as long as I can buy the ships that I want to fly, I'm fine. Um, I, I just do it for the content. So, suicide ganking with catalysts and Isaac is not really the content <laughs> I was looking for. Plus, you have to you have to set your whole alliance up to just monitor if this guy even logs in that day, and like plan your whole thing around if he decides to play Eve. Ugh. I think he's mining there twenty four seven. So, if you want some easy isk, I can forward you the person. <laughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> But now I agree with you. Sounds kind of lame. That said, five bill, not too bad. But then you got to repair your security status and probably becomes not nearly as profitable as it sounds really fast. Yeah, I, I generally hate, I really hate Isaac stuff because like when I was in Isaac, we also tried to do some Isaac defense or stuff and we always got fucked up by stupid Isaac mechanics. Like I just acknowledged these people do it since 10 years and do nothing else and they can nothing else in Eve. And if you, if you get on their level, they will pull you to the ground and beat you uh, with experience. So they like, like uh, they just have sometimes a hundred people who switch to corp five minutes before the ops and they suddenly pull out 100 Leshucks that are remote wrapping or they will have a bump Macarial in neutral one which like just bumps off your logi with 5000 meters per second or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can anything against it like all this kind of stuff um, I don't really want to get involved with and also like missing mechanics like smart bombs and um, all this kind of stuff no capitals and so on like um 
from my feeling, Isaac is for people who don't want to fight. Like most Isaac pirate groups never took a fight in their life because either they completely outform with like 15 Estors um, and nobody fights. So if they have a real danger, they just stay docked and wait for the next day. Um, so it's kind of boring to me. That does track based on our experience. We've had a couple run-ins with the Isaac guys, a lot of Black Flag and groups that were Black Flag before they were Black Flag. We have had occasional fights, but it's been it's been many, many years since we've seen it. They have gotten a lot bigger though, a lot better at multi boxing, so they'll do like fifty thrashers and on top of their Lashak ball to kind of make it almost impossible to do anything against them. But uh as far as like stand up fights yeah, I haven't really heard about it too much. Certainly not mercenary. Yeah, the funny thing about Isaac Wars is that you have like ten lodges for one DPS ship. <laughs> right. Like, like once we, well, we went into once once we went into a battlefield, I think with like ten executors, logi executors, and five exec navies, and people were writing like, "What the fuck is this a Isaac war or what?" Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, speaking of the war zone, uh, Lave, do you want to give an update on the Galenti slash Caldari war zone and what's been happening while we've been away on our fancy contract? Yep. So while while Noir was away itself, we were generally we're based down in Hadley's, which is on the south of the war zone itself. While we've been away, it seems like Caldari have gained a bit of a foothold behind us in the pocket, kind of towards some of the main systems of, of, of Galente. So essentially, they've got an island now, well established of systems behind the front line itself, and there appears to be a, a fairly active Caldari group kind of spearheading things there, who've given us some fights. And then we all just put up to Fenzi. So now that we're coming back, I'm sure we'll be getting to fights no more. Hadley's currently holds. Um, progress is kind of static on our side of the, of, the, of the war zone. On the other side, the Placid side is completely stabilized for the for the greens itself for Galente. Algenet came back under our control. Ikes is under our control. That whole pocket is now green. And additionally, CCP have now patched Athunan um, to be in our rear guard because this was the system that had the additional jump gate in it from Caldari. But when Galente captured that system, the Galente, the Caldari gate was shut down. But for a long time, that system was still a front line, even though it wasn't connected to anything. And that's now been patched. That's now gone to rear guard. So it's going to be very difficult for Caldari to take that system without a dedicated effort. They're definitely trying, but it's I think clearly there's a lot of invest, investment in that side from the Galente, and it's not going to fall easily. So most of the action, most of the systems falling are to the rear of Hadeles on the south of the war zone, and little bits and lots of heavy fighting in Aldrinette, small bit of fighting up towards the uh, Tarma and Nagamana there itself, um, and a fair bit of fighting across Fleet and Hadeles. Lots of kind of activity down there, so lots of good times for people to come and join us in pew-pews. And that is your weather report. We've been quite back and forth on the, the bottom side of the war zone. If you look at the faction warfare maps. I'm not sure which Kaldari group is doing it, but the way it's kind of worked is they've they just like conquered a front line, one system, and then the next system that got front line, they just moved to that, conquered that, and we would kind of chase them and recapture the one that they just took, but they had to move on to the next one. And we kind of did that for a little while, but now it seems like they've really expanded their foothold in our back lines, which we'll have to uh, go take care of, I suppose. I think we will. I mean, Indrigal is the primary. T- Boon is getting pushed really hard now at 93%, so that could, if not defended, fall over the next day or so. Um, Indrigal needs to be capped in order to take Haley's up the front. Um, so there's, there's, there's plenty of opportunities for fights. Well, looking forward to it now that I'm back from vacation. Oh, I've got the bug to play. I haven't played in a while. I'm quite hungry to get in a fleet, so looking forward to doing that today and tomorrow. Yep, so good. We've we've had quite the loss while I've been gone. Eve Prazel just posted they're going down. I was shocked about this. Um, apparently, the owner of Eve Prazel hasn't played even years. Doesn't really have a lot of connection to the game anymore. And CCP has shut down the API that he was using to pull those values. So rather than recode it to compensate, it's just pulling the plug. Yep. I noticed that. <laughs> That's really sad. I always used it. It was like a website your most EVE players always have open, but I guess at the end there are enough other tools who, who can compensate for that. 
Yeah, it just it doesn't when these kind of things happen. So I mean, it may well be that the you know the IP address itself was looking at an old part of the API, and CCP will change up and upgrade the API in the background to do different things. And it may well have just been that it's reached its natural end from that side of things. But it's always nice that you'd kind of hope that. If particularly if CTP know, hey, this is going to nuke this fan website, that you'd kind of work around it or reach out and discuss it. But as you say, there are other sites that do a similar function. I'm sure players will gravitate towards those. Yeah, I noticed this kind of stuff happening a bunch of times in the past. Uh, like our Discord bot to post kills like went offline because the API changed once and then you need to look for another tool which is better maintained. I think this this is just part of of natural development. I'm a bit surprised that nobody took over Evepraisal because it's like a very well-known site. So um, I also think like adapting the API would probably have been not the craziest amount of work for a programmer. So I'm a bit surprised nobody took it over, but maybe this still happens. I could imagine that somebody gets interested into it. Like 90% of E-players are programmers. So <laughs> let's see, maybe it gets revived. 90% of players are, are programmers. 95% of us are snuffouts. <laughs> Snuffout army. It's like the Matrix and like the Agent, Agent Smith. Yeah. I think the chances that it or a similar tool will get saved. It's just been so integral to so many other things like shipping and hauling. I've, I, I feel like it's going to get picked up. I mean, there's a fuzzwork option. Uh, I've whole, I've. It's just been on forums, so I can't like vouch for it. But this uh, Janus site, Janus.e.351, has been recommended as an alternative. Apparently, a lot of people are liking that. So I think the function yeah. will still happen. It's just a big, like even these other ones, you'll probably still say like, oh, just e-phrasal it. But they'll use one of these other websites to do it, and like. Skyping people or using it. It's a bit like Googling, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like a word that you just have combined with the thing you do. Google it on Bing. If you Even if you look up something on Bing, you are Googling it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and another business, it looks like CP have announced that the next iteration of CSM, this is a nod towards you, Alec, as a former CSM yourself, uh, will be opening shortly. Yep, it looks like we are about to get into election season once again. Key dates, August 1st to 15th is candidate submissions. Then they'll go through application processing a bit after that. The candidate announcement will be on August 23rd, which will immediately kick off campaign period until 3rd of September. And then voting between September 4th and September 11th. And the election results will come pretty soon thereafter, September 21st, live at FanFest. They will announce the winners of CSM 18. Now, there's also a change in model as well, because they've mentioned that they're expanding the CSM from 10 seats to 12 seats, 10 members being directly elected as usual, using the normal campaign. And though, and between those who finish from 11th to 20th, CCP will select two to fill the remaining two slots to join the 10 on the council. And also worth noting that Briskerball and Kenneth Feld have won too many elections and will not be allowed to run for CSM 18. They've won too many Black Mark ones and various kind of awards on this show. They, they just seem to win everything. God damn it, Brisk. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of the council expansion? Um, truthfully, I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more structure in, into kind of in, into trying to getting a, a real kind of breadth of experience across there. Because I think one of the one of the common criticisms that, that is laid at the that the CSM is usually, is the high prevalence of no blocks and sometimes the low prevalence elsewhere. I wonder if the extra two slots might be CCP's way of perhaps kind of redressing that because then they can apply they can apply a little bit of discretion. So if they think, hey, you know, this particular council is almost completely no block, we can actually bring in a wormhole or, or you know a low sacker itself just to try and add some balance in there itself. Bit of a strange tactic from them. I'm 
I definitely don't love the idea of CCP handpicking all of the CSM, but the way they have it laid out where the top 10 get elected as usual, and then they'll pick from the next 10 most popular candidates to they feel some kind of way about, you would presume they will try to pick them uh, in, in such a way to round out the council somehow. Uh, yeah. And at least they will be fairly popular. I mean, the the top 11th to 20th is nothing to sneer at, especially with as many candidates as have been running in the recent years. I feel like it's, um, it's a concerning step if it expands, but in and of itself, I feel like it's a pretty decent compromise of CCP wanting to have a more active hand in who's serving while also making sure that we have a strong democratic process and they're not just picking yes people. And as you say, you know, only three are potentially can be carried over from the CSM. So we're going to see a fairly fresh set of new faces. Um, and uh, I, I'd be very interested to see what the how it all turns out at the very end. Um, I would like to see a rounded CSM rather than one that is heavily dominated by one particular group. Um, but uh, it, again, it's with, with elections and voting um, and the way the system is itself, it's it will be interesting to see how CCP picks the remaining two candidates, whether there's a perception that that's almost like the, the kind of the, the hospital pass or whether it's the kind of the, a bit of a mercy vote itself. But uh, as you say, getting from 11th to 20th in a field that can contain well more, more, many more people than that is nothing to be sneered at. Yeah, I think this is going to be all right. I think this is going to be all right. Oh, exciting. Always exciting for campaign season. Uh, as usual, we will have some kind of CSM content for you. We'll work out the exact format and timing over the next couple weeks, but you can expect to have uh, some offering of candidates here on Declarations of War. We will not do uh, interviews with all candidates. I think there are other groups and people in Eve, the EVE media community that are really passionate about that and do an excellent job, and I don't want to duplicate their efforts because um, I'm sure there's always there's going to be probably an audio version and a text version of that interview. But what we usually like to do is some kind of uh, candidate dialogue of sorts, get them talking to each other or talking about something. So we'll see about that, whether that is debates, whether it's roundtables, whether it's some kind of focus group content. We'll get back to you on that bit, but It'll be interesting. It'll be can't-miss content. That much I can promise you. Uh, and finally, Lave, talk to us about a sneak peek at a potential new ship. Yeah, so those who are active on Twitter will note, and, and in-game have noticed something about the data fragment event itself, where players are tasked with finding and decoding data fragments, which seem to generate little bits of a, of a schematic. CCP recently posted one on the 17th of July, two days ago, about a player who's put quite a few of these together with a short 15-second video of a schematic of a ship bearing the Garistus Pirate logo. It very clearly looks like a Corax, so one might assume that this might be some kind of pirate destroyer, um, pirate, pirate faction destroyer, maybe even a pirate faction interdictor or Zatek 2 is possible in there coming our way. But this may well harken to the next set of events beyond Viridian and the end of the Shadow War about potentially now expanding up to the pirate side of things and bringing in some new pirate ships. I would be quite excited for a Garista's destroyer. I think the Garmer is already a pretty decent anti-frigate frigate but a destroyer version of that Ooh. i could imagine that's what's i could imagine it would be somehow a bit like the trackdoor that you can like long range snipe with light missiles or something like that so you basically have a like more long range capable gamo um with high speed or something like that i could imagine like a pirate faction trackdoor style yeah I, I predict kind of like a a jackdaw with a point range bonus and Probably slightly less hit points, but more speed. I wonder yeah, if this, like I wonder, given the congestion of destroyers, because I mean, all factions have two tech one destroyers, and they have a faction destroyer, and they have dictors. I wonder if this might well be a dictor. 
um, given the fact that most pirate factions tend to live out in Nullsec, and whether this might actually be they use the Korax hull, but they turn this into a Charistus Interdictor, um, thereby giving it a little bit of extra role. Because I, I can see where you're going with regards to having this as like a, a Gam, like a destroyer version of a Gamma um, or an Arthurus, but it's it's in a fairly congested um, kind of field. And a lot of destroyers do long range really well. So going into a field where bar, where destroyers um, destroyers are really good at shredding targets at long range. You know, anyone who's fought Cormorant fleets knows this. So one of these warps on grid, the the railguns are just going to tear it to fragments. So I wonder if we might see a bit of a left field choice here, and perhaps maybe this is actually a tech two hull. That would be a definitely a departure from ccp's normal approach but i think it would be a welcome one uh, you're right it is a bit of a crowded space even within the garista's line the orthrus is already effectively uh, a destroyer um, when you consider how effective it is against frigates um, adding a destroyer hull to that line doesn't really add a lot of value unless you're right they add some kind of unique capacity to it interdictor is one way it could go could also go command destroyer potentially. Yeah, a Garistus command uh, destroyer. It would be a really good shout, I think. Or you have something with like an ultra long point. So I mean, the Gamo already has like a point bonus, but you could make it more like a Jesus. Uh, mm. So it can long point on like 70, 80 kilometers um, with, a, with a good warp disruption and good skills. That would be interesting. That would be very interesting. Fragile, but extremely long point. I like it. So we have something like a Kiri. I mean, there are already other ships like Kiris or like a, like a La Jesus doing this job, but it could be like an, an interesting variant. Mm-hmm. I, also, I'm, I'm pretty... PvP, it could be like solo PvPing with like light missiles if, if 70 kilometers point with a speedy Gamor-like destroyer could be interesting, I would say. <laughs> I mean, you could see that from a command destroyer, you know, skirmish interdiction links plus the native bonus, like, you know, of a point range on, on the Gamma, Arthurus, etc. This thing would be pushing a 50 kilometer point with, with very little effort, even with just Tech 2 modules. If they give it a point bonus and link bonuses to shield and interdiction, that would be one of the most valuable small gang ships you could possibly think of. Yeah, it just covers both bases really nicely because you you gain the you know the the links capability, but I'm at, you get a you get a gamma which potentially kind of points past forty, and then you stick thirty percent of bonus on the on the point range itself, and suddenly this ship potentially is pointing out to fifty five sixty kilometers of tech two, and if you put bling on there, oof, that thing uh, from a small gang point of view could be an utter nuisance because it won't it, with tech two resistances it wouldn't fold straight away like a, like a gamma is great at speed but if you land any hits on a gamma it will fold very quickly whereas a command destroyer could take a few hits yeah i think it'd be a bit op if you made it too tanky so i'm sure they'll, it'll have some kind of drawback it's i think it's either going to be very fast or very tanky but probably not both yeah, goes with the rest of the Carissa's so. line, it'll probably be more on the speed side. They tend to be faster than their average partners in that frigate in like whatever class they're in. You'll probably see a destroyer with four mid slots then, um, or maybe even five, because you've got to account for the MJD on there and a point and maybe a bit of tank. The resistances will be on there itself, but it probably won't be that high. One of the little things on the on the video mentions about a shield upgrade package, which makes me kind of think they are moving towards the command destroyer side of it. So you'd it becomes the, the strange spawn Satan child of a Bifrost and a Stark. Mm-hmm. But a Gamma strapped onto the front of it. Sounds horrifying, but I love it. <laughs> Which begs the question then, what would you do with the other factions? Like There are some interesting possibilities out there. Maybe we see more spiky Sansha ships. Maybe we see more Bloodstained ships from the Blood Raiders. This is an interesting step, and I wonder where it'll go. An Angel Destroyer oh, already... with a Wobble bonus, please. I already see the afterburner tryhard uh, nightmare like uh, destroyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to see where they go with that. Uh, moving into our host highlights to start wrapping up the show, I had a very daring escape from a system called Sobina. We had found a no forks given, I think it was an Athenor, 
that was unfit gun-wise, but had tech two rigs. So we're like, all right, let's start reinforcing this. Let's see what they do. And then if we do successfully reinforce it, you know, we will get a fight later. So we start hitting it. Um, we're using RR VEDMAX, three of them, and we get a bomber later. Uh, the VEDs are having some cap issues because of how long this is going on and start to pulse our microwarps. This winds up being our undoing because as No Forks generally scales up their response, first it's Griffins, then it's like Griffins in a tackle ship, then they put a um, Praxis on field. There's a Praxis with extra tacklers. Now there's a rape here. Now there's this. Now there's that. They keep adding more stuff. Uh, eventually, there was so much going on that Aikio got caught by the Praxis and hard tackled. He got scrapped, and so did the Interceptor that we added to the fleet to try to cover him. So they died. The response fleet from No Forks is now way too much. They start filtering in a ton of support frigates and tackle frigates. Jams, DPS, the whole nine yards is all coming our way. Uh, they're all sitting on their grid. I'm like, all right, uh, the gate's currently clear. I'm going to go while the going's good. So I worked the gate and I get out because I have to go. Uh, I had to forget what I had to do. I was going to the store or something. I had to get out and I had to dock and, you know, go do real life stuff. So I go through the gate, no problem. Unfortunately, <laughs> When I go to the next gate, they had sent a pile of their support ships to catch up with me. And as I'm landing, I see a Gnosis jump through. I'm like, oh, okay, I could solo a Gnosis. So while this is going on, I, I try to tackle the Gnosis. And I'm like, all right, this is cool. And then I see local climbing up as they're sending their guys to chase after me. And sure enough, they're all landing right on top of me. It's a very short warp. So my grid goes from a Gnosis and like one frigate that's cross-jumping me to about five ten ships, uh, including Hicks. There's, there's Rapier on field. There's the nine yards. I'm like, ah! I pivot from attacking the Gnosis, which I probably never should have done in the first place. I really don't know what I was thinking with his entire fleet one jump next door, but I was really hungry for kills to just general escape. Uh, so while the Gnosis is, is going on, I see a Manticore that decloaks about 20 kilometers from me. He's the first target. I throw my point in DPS on him. He drops pretty quick, and then I start burning for range. And all of a sudden, the, the Tech 2 frigates are landing, and they're starting to chase me. One of them is a Slicer. He's getting quite close. I'm still pointed. So I, I lock him up. Start shooting. He's dodging. He's dodging. Gets into web range. Web him down just, just before he could scram me. I had maybe two kilometers of breathing room, but then I managed to kill him too. And at this point, I'm looking for a way out because they have more tackle. I'm running out of ancillary charges as I'm taking all this damage, projected damage from ships that are landing on the gate. I forget what was chasing me exactly, but I want to say it was a Crusader, maybe? Crusader or Crucifier. There was something that was getting alarmingly close to me, and I managed to get the Align out and clear out. It was like a 1v20 escape by the end of it. I got two kills off of it anyway. It felt really, really good, but it was a terrible, stupid decision that no one listening to this show should ever do. <laughs> Not take the Gnosis. The Gnosis is always bait. Gnosis is bait. It just happened to work out. It was very clenchy. Very, very butthole clenchy. Yeah, my sh I've combined my host highlight and shout out. So one of the reasons I've not been playing was both work been busy. Also, I wanted to break my hand. So big props to the, the surgeons that have stuck a stuck a pin through one of my bones in my hand. Unfortunately, my other highlight was that my little mini, mini lathe, my little boy, managed to break his other arm. So between us, we can now replicate the whole Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of um, handshake thing itself, except we both have casts on. So a bit of a macabre highlight, but it's all okay. Sounds awesome. <laughs> so my shout out. Um, I wasn't super active the last two or three weeks in Eve due to summer and a lot of free life stuff. But um, the most memorable Eve experience I have right now 
is lately that I was training to fly like a try-hard malediction. Um, so I was just roaming alone on the war zone, trying to tackle random people. I don't even have DPS to kill them. I just hold them and wait until somebody comes to kill them or not and try to like manually pilot it and uh, avoid dying. So I trained it for some days. And then one day we had some faction warfare fuckery where um, there was some talking local and some small fighting but nothing really happened and then i disbanded the fleet and i was like alone sitting on the station and saw in the local chat yeah why why don't you undock we have a surprise for you and uh, let's uh, let's fight us and then i look outside the station and there are like 20 tornadoes um a hundred off like uh just wanting to snipe people on the station and i was like totally alone fleet already disbanded so i figured okay fuck it let's go with the malediction and have some fun with them so i like <clears throat> orbited them and played around with them for like five minutes with the malediction and always was holding one of them down so they can't really disengage and leave because then i would just kill him um so I tried to just be a pain in the ass and they like MJD'd and tried to check me and so on, but it didn't really work out. And they had some some destroyers and frigates trying to chase me, but they didn't manage to do it. And at some point, the NPCs, the Amar NPCs showed up um, randomly on the station and started slaughtering the tornadoes. <laughs> so I basically got so I basically got a handful of kills um, off that um, ah! by just being a pain on the ass and holding them down and fucking around with them but at the end they catched my malediction because i wasn't careful for a moment and then like uh, i think it was like a faction um destroyer or something like a t2 destroyer catched me and wept me down and then they tracked me but they lost some tornadoes for it so i was it was totally worth it for me <laughs> amazing trade I want to give a shout out to our Patreon supporters, the Golden Elite, Fade Atreides, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Tang Tengu, and Tweak. Thank you guys so much for your continued support. And I also want to give a closing shout out to Aikio, who really stepped up while I was gone for the last week. Uh, I got maybe a day or two into the contract before I had to fly to the West Coast for a pre-planned trip. And... Like I said, the first day was a pretty big feed on my part as an FC. So I was feeling quite down. And I was like, guys, I really need help to close this contract out. I'm going to be going away. Somebody needs to step up. And Ikeo really stepped up. Uh, he did a fantastic job, not only posting his own ops, but encouraging other FCs to get active and just generally being an all around amazing dude and an invaluable director. So thank you, Ikeo. I love you, dude. That's it, guys. Thank you, Canari, for showing up. Canari, do you have any uh, like closing pitch? How do how do people potentially get in contact with you if they can't hire us for something? Oh, <laughs> uh, I guess I guess they can look for our forum post um, to uh, if they look for Blood Eagle Syndicate on the e forums, they will find us pretty easily, probably, or just contact me in Discord or whatever, and we can figure it out. Um, Unless it's like Orca ganking um, or minor ganking in Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in the show poll and leave a comment on the episode. Noir recruitment is open. We are gearing up for a push for Noir Academy recruitment drive at some point this summer. Uh, that is another IKEO project that he's working on. And now that I'm back and he doesn't have to do my job too, hopefully he can spend some time to focus on it. Uh, but recruitment to the corp directly is open. If you have PvP experience, come talk to us. It's Cafe Noir dot in game. Cafe space noir N O I R with a period at the end of it. You'll find a link to the Discord and answers to all of your questions. And we're really excited to be talking to people of any PvP background. If you don't have a PvP background yet, but you're really excited to do it and you want to be part of the content that you hear on this show, that is what Noir Academy is for. Come reach out to us, talk to IKEO, get your name registered with what we're going to do because it's going to be good. And with that, wherever you are, whatever war zone you're in, whatever region of NullSec, whatever alliance, good hunting listeners. <laughs>